Welcome back, folks. This is the second episode of Wagme Fantasy Football Podcast. I am your co-host, Colin Garini, joined by my colleague, Tyler Ripnack. Tyler? What's up? Follow us on Twitter at Wagby Fantasy. That is the handle spelled out on my hat right here. For those of you just listening at W-A-G-M-I Fantasy, there we go. Visit our website at www.wagbyfantasy.com. Currently, we are under construction, transitioning our domain to Squarespace. It'll be up and running as soon as possible. You can contact us at our email for any suggestions, questions, etc. and so forth at football at wagmefantasy.com. We're on RSS, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, soon-to-be Google Podcasts. For those listening, looking for another source. Tyler, what are we going to talk about today? Yeah, today we're going to go over some more things we learned from last year, which uh, which includes some waiver strategies that we might have picked up. And also we're going to talk a little bit about uh, running back by committee and how that's kind of evolving in fantasy today. It is becoming a more prominent trend, especially this year more than ever. Today, first, I want to interject and I want to talk about a lesson that I learned personally last year in my own estimates. That is, don't assume regression from a great rookie receiver, wide, rookie wide receiver. Last year, I doubted Justin Jefferson. He posted 88 catches, 1,400 yards, and seven touchdowns in his rookie season, and I didn't think he could repeat that. Why? I doubted him because he was so dang good as a rookie. I just didn't think he could get better. I mean, he only had 125 targets over, hit 1,400 yards. That's as efficient as we've seen from a receiver in the last 60 years. Second most receiving yards as a rookie at the time. Jamar Chase one-upped him this year. But I, I really thought he was just a new kid on the block. You know, teams are going to adjust to him. They're going to figure him out a little bit more than they did his first year. And also... You know, they have Dalvin Cook, a workhorse. He's the center of that Minnesota offense. And Adam Thielen also exists. I don't want to discredit Thielen at all. I just really didn't think there was enough room for Jefferson to improve off of that really strong rookie season. Um, he cast my doubts away. He was awesome this year. Finished as the wide receiver, too. He had over 100 catches over 1,600 yards, and double-digit touchdowns. Make a fool of me. Yeah, you could not have been more wrong with that one. Listen, it, I learned. I learned that. And also looking back at it, we had C.D. Lamb and T. Higgins in that really strong 2020 rookie wide receiver class. Both of them improved in their second year. So the, that trend was really prominent last year. I learned it, you know, looking forward. How can I learn off of this? Well, Jamar Chase sure as hell isn't going to be outside my top five next year. I can assure you that. Yeah, what he finished wide receiver five last year, 18 points per game next year. I think you can't lower him any lower than what he – finish this year I, I think he's going to be wide receiver five or better that connection with Joe Burrow is potent it's special 
it's not going anywhere. It's not going to become less efficient over this off season, even with T Higgins, even with Tyler Boyd in that offense. I just think there's plenty of mouths to feed. All of them are going to be fed. Joe Burrow's special. Jamar Chase is even more special. Their connection is going to remain elite. And who's another guy that we can talk about from last year's rookie class? So we got Jalen Waddle was another rookie wide receiver. He finished that rookie or finished that wide receiver 13 with 140 targets. But um, what do you think about the uh, Tyreek Hill? How does he affect him? Here's what I think. I think both of them are low-end wide receiver ones. I trust Jalen Waddle way more than Tyreek Hill just because he has that familiarity in the offense. You said it. He had 140 targets, set the rookie receptions record with 104. He's going to just be a volume hog as he was last year, even with Tyreek, special playmaker in there. Mike McDaniels, the new coach, the young guy coming from San Francisco, I think McDaniel's going to make sure that he gets the ball in his playmaker's hands, which is Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle both, at least a half a dozen times at the bare minimum each game. Give me Jalen Waddle catching the ball seven, eight times each game, and good things will happen. I think I ranked Tyree Kill at wide receiver nine and Jalen Waddle wide receiver 12 to begin. That was just my rough estimates a couple weeks ago. When I crunch the numbers, I'm not going to be surprised at all when Jalen Waddle comes out ranked ahead of Tyreek Hill. Let me flip that around to you. Who would you rather have, Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddle in PPR format? So I was what I was just thinking is about how how does quarterback play affect it? Because obviously Tyreek Hill seems like more of a deep threat to me, and I don't know if his value might actually decrease on there. So I think Jalen Waddle is might be who I pick on that team. That's probably why I will agree with you. Waddle gets just because of comfort, just because of play style last year. I think Waddle's going to finish out higher than Hill. But it's funny because Jalen Waddle came into this league as a deep threat. He might be the fastest player in the league. He ran a sub 4-3-40, I believe, during his combine. So both of them are deep threats, really. I think they both play really close to the line of scrimmage for the majority just to tailor to Tua's strengths. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because obviously with Jamar Chase, we have Joe Burrow, who's pretty good quarterback right now. But when you look at Justin Jefferson, he's got Kirk Cousins thrown to him. So he's still putting up those numbers. So don't disrespect Kirk Cousins like that. Man is underrated in fantasy, overrated in real life. He just can't win games. You know, he can throw, he can fill out the stat sheet, get you some points. He just can't win games. It's simple as that. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying he's not a fantasy quarterback, but he's a mediocre NFL quarterback. I agree. He gets the job done. He gets the job done. I believe he has on the dot a 500 career record as a starting quarterback, but back to Tua and you brought up the point of the deep ball being so critical to Tyreek's game. Tua actually has a really high deep ball completion percentage. It's, It's, above 50% last year. However, on the flip side of it, there's just not a lot of attempts. I think he only had 29 deep balls in the entirety of last year. So even if you say he throws it over 20 yards, four times a game, how many of those are in the direction of Tyree kill and how many are going to be completed? 
Well, maybe with Tyreek Hill coming to the team now, then it's not just Jalen Waddle being the deep threat. There could be more opportunities there. It's harder to cover two deep threats than one. I agree. I still think Mike McDaniel is going to use them close to the line of scrimmage for most of their touches. Heck, they're probably going to handle the ball, some jet sweeps in the backfield. He gets really creative. You saw that with how Debo Samuel was used last year in San Francisco. I expect more of the same for both Tyreek and Jalen. Bottom line, they're superstars. They're the best playmakers in this offense. Mike McDaniel is going to find a way to get the ball in their hands plenty of times. Mm-hmm. And is there anyone else we're looking at for uh, the impact of this lesson? The, the rookie wide receiver is not going to regress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Amon Ra finished wide receiver 21 last year. I think that second half of the season, he, he was a wide receiver too over the last like five, six weeks of the season, only behind Cooper Cup. I don't think he's going to demand as much volume as he did over that time period, because you got to think DeAndre Swift was out. So is TJ Hawkinson at times. Both of those guys average six, seven targets a game. So when everybody's in the fold, I think Amon Ra, I can't really discredit him. I'm not expecting him to regress that much. I think he's still in that high-end wide receiver three to low-end wide receiver two range. And then also we have Devontae Smith, Smitty in Philadelphia. Everybody wants to say, oh, avoid him. A.J. Brown's in town. He's a wide receiver, too. Give me that value that he's going to be discounted to. He's still going to be a top 30 receiver. He's still a good playmaker. And Jalen Hurts has history with him. They're, I'm, no, I'm not going to make the mistake of discrediting both of them. They still have plenty of opportunity where they're at. Yeah, I agree. Want to move on to waivers? Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to start off with uh, your little Allen Robinson situation? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, good, uh, good stepping stone to this lesson. You got to know when to hold them and fold them with, with these bench pieces and waiver wire pickups. Allen Robinson was a dud. I was wrong. I expected him to be wide top 12 wide receiver as I drafted him. And I was in denial that whole time. I didn't drop him until week 10, which is way too long. And on the flip side of things, I dropped Russell Gage after one game just because he had no catches and two targets. That was an okay move since he got hurt two weeks later. But still, both both underperformed early on. One of them I cut ties immediately with. And one of them I just kept on holding on, holding on, and riding that roller coaster down with Robinson. So I think that's just a flaw of human nature. You have to realize when your expectations aren't met, you're, the value you perceived is not the value that's being delivered. You know, the first week of last year, I saw, oh, Allen Robinson got 11 targets in week one. I'm still holding hope. You know, he's still demanding that volume. But then week two came around and he scored a touchdown, but he only caught the ball twice. So I kept on trying to make excuses for the guy, kept going just because his former self was was brilliant. I was hoping we could tap into that. But realistically, I should have saw he didn't even accumulate 
60 yards between his first two games. And I should have tried to trade him immediately or even drop him. He was worthless. So again, going back to what I learned, you have to accept when your expectations aren't met, don't hold out hope and effectively allocate to a better prospect. I could have probably traded Allen Robinson for somebody like Michael Pittman last year after week two, a lot of name value behind that guy, but I just kept on holding on and holding on and it, it costed me. It was really just a waste of my bench. Yeah. I think part of the problem is you like you use up a draft pick on someone like Allen Robinson. It really just hurts you to admit to yourself that, they're really just not worth it anymore. And you got to drop them for someone that might not have even been drafted. That's just sitting on waivers, but sometimes opportunity there that you have to take. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I spent a fourth round pick early fourth round pick on a Rob. And I just kept on looking at it. Like I can't drop my fourth round pick right now. I got to hold out hope. He can still become my fourth round pick and deliver that value but I, I was blind. I was, I was in denial just because of the price I paid up for him. So move on when you get the yeah, chance. Admit when you're wrong. Got to be brutally honest with yourself. If you want to be a good manager, you got to just look yourself in the mirror and see where your flaws are. And that was one that I committed last year. Yeah. Yeah. Something else I like to do with, uh, waiver wires i mean if you're not someone who's constantly following the fancy news and you see every little move that's something i know at least on the uh the nfl fantasy app there's this section that talks about the uh most added this week which like if everyone's adding someone there's probably some news out there that you might have missed so look at that look into that how that situation's changed with those players and things like that yeah half the battle is just knowing right so I have this app. It's Matthew Barry's fantasy football app. I think it just live feeds any tweets related towards team news, injuries, offense, and defense, just so you get a good picture of what's going on. I highly recommend just, just read what's happening. And as you said, knowing is half the battle, knowing what's happening, why this player is getting added, why this player is getting dropped. You'll be ahead of the, the bottom third to half of the pack of fantasy owners by just knowing what's going on yeah i think that's the biggest thing is just staying aware of like what's changing and who got hurt or it's really easy to miss things and i don't know that's how you can elevate yourself to the next level it is it is and being the guy that is rated i get the alerts from that app being the guy that knows what happens immediately with a snap of the finger, I feel like it gives me just a couple seconds ahead of everybody else. And that's all the difference I need. For instance, I got Rashad Penny off waivers right before my playoff push. And he was phenomenal over that last stretch. And I knew when to add him before everybody else, because I got this live tweet alert saying, oh, Pete Carroll has some doubts whether Chris Carson's going to come back this week or next. And you know, you, that's a broken record at this point. When you hear Chris Carson might play, chances are he's off the field for the next three months. And same thing with Calvin Ridley news. When that broke, when he was suspended, I swooped out there and grabbed Russell Gage even when he was hurt. So 
just being on top of things can get you much further than the competition because somebody out there is going to be watching like a hawk as well. And there'll be advantages of that few second delay that you have with seeing news. So stay on top of things. Yeah. And even more important when you're not in the waiver period, you can just pick them up as a free agent. You like the waiver queue doesn't matter. Whoever's first, the news is going to get that guy. Absolutely. I believe the waiver period resets every Wednesday morning at like 4 a.m. So if something happens during Wednesday's practice or Thursday's practice and there's a new starting running back in for, say, Dearness Johnson hops in oh, in yeah. line for Chubb and Hunt when they were both out. If you had Dearness Johnson, he could have won you that week right there. Um, so, yeah, being being opportunistic. And tying in with the, the whole waiver process, some leagues are dictated by wa- – the waiver queue is dictated by first come, first serve. Some are you get – you make a waiver claim, and then once – if you get your guy, you move to the back of the line. Others have uh, fab waiver money allocation where you actually bet money to get the player. I almost ripped out my headphones. Uh, <laughs> that would have been bad. But I, so I was in a league where you moved to the back of the line after you made a waiver transaction. That's how I assume most, most leagues are, or a good majority of them are. Um, so I kind of don't like making waiver claims that frequently. I'm more of a don't move often and move big kind of guy. Um, be opportunistic, save your waiver order when you truly need it. If, if you spend it every week, you're going to be in the last of the line every week and you really can't help yourself getting just mediocre waiver additions. I think if, if you do move back to the end of the line in your waiver queue, you should save them until you're at one of the first few spots or when you direly need them. Cause somebody will, somebody gets hurt big every week somebody goes down a player off waivers becomes instantaneously very valuable don't move often but move big with my bench so i don't know if your league was like this but i think in my league it was similar to what you're saying but i think every week the waiver queue would reorder so that the uh person first in line was whoever's ranked last in the league so it kind of like give them an opportunity to help their team but in that situation, I don't think using a waiver claim every week would be such a bad thing if you're at the bottom and you got that first priority. Yeah, I think those settings are actually the default for most fantasy apps, and I highly advise you to change them because they suck ass. It's it's no fair for you to be last in line just because you're the best team every week. It gets really irritating seeing the same few shitty teams get first dibs on the few waivers every week so one change your settings but two if you don't then yeah you're right make as many claims as you want because it hypothetically doesn't matter and you always have the same amount of opportunity to better your team every week i mean i don't know if you have to change your settings how often are you really finding like a uh, a star on waivers I mean, like there's a couple every year. You look at Cordero Patterson last year. 
he was the big one that everybody thinks of, but also guys like Christian Kirk. I think Hollywood Brown was undrafted in a lot of leagues. Um, there's good contributors that you can find off waivers. You just have to be opportunistic and you have to look for those guys that have some sort of prominent role in their offense. Yeah. You have any last remarks before we move into running back by committee? Uh, one little thing, your bench pieces don't always have to be a week to week thing. You can draft players understanding that they're not going to be a big contributor day one, like Javante Williams last year, I drafted him, reached a little bit for him, but was still very happy with the value guy I got returned. I knew he'd blossom into something by the second half of the season. I drafted him with that intent, with that purpose. He had weeks where he only got five, six carries at the beginning of the year, never lost faith, knew he would blossom into a good player later on. And so sometimes your bench players are pieces, long-term pieces and not week to week pieces. There we go. Yeah. In addition to that, I had, uh, I drafted Jerry Judy, I think, and, he didn't play the first half of the season. It didn't end up working out. He wasn't a great player last year, but same idea. Is he in jail or what? I think he got out. Did you see that? Um. Okay. I think he was released on bond. Yeah. I don't know what that I don't, means. I don't know the whole situation. I've heard. Know. Yeah. You really can't rely on Twitter. There's too many fucking idiots out there that are just spreading whatever smoke like wildfire. So I don't know if he's suspended, then that changes everything for next year, at least for the first. Okay, ESPN headline. ESPN headline says Jerry Judy's girlfriend asks for misdemeanor case to be dismissed. So. Oh, so he paid her off on the side then. I don't know. Make that what you will. But okay, no big deal then. Jerry, Jerry Judy's still safe. He's fine. Uh, running let's back go, by committee. Yep. I was about to say, let's go to running back by committees. And this is just a huge lesson that is more so turning into the new norm. Don't shy away of running back by committees. They're way too frequent. There's far too few backs that are just solo backs. You're going to give yourself a headache discounting every player that shares a backfield. There's great value. Their coaches know what they're doing with them. And look for great value misconceptions with these guys that split backfields. A lot of them are discounted way more than they should be. So I, I say bring them on. If you get good value from them, target all those guys that you can. Read off some of the names from history and like what they finish and their average draft position. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, in 2016, we have a combination of Devonta Freeman and Tevin Coleman who – Freeman finished RB6, Coleman finished RB19, but Freeman was projected ADP for RB7, but Coleman was 46, so that's a lot of value you get out of him. In uh, 2017, we got Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram. Kind of crazy, they they finished as RB3 and 6 when their ADPs were, because Kamara was at 51 and Ingram at 24. Was that Kamara's rookie year? I think it was. Yeah, it might have been. I'm not sure, though. Nobody really knew about him, but yeah, Two top six backs is insane. Yeah, I mean, even even Mark Ingram, the guy we all knew about, he finished way above his ADP. 
But uh, moving on into 2019, we have Eckler and uh, Melvin Gordon, RB4 and RB23, ADP of 22 and 30. I mean, the value is just it's kind of crazy what you can see because everyone's kind of doubting these committees. But uh, yeah. as you can see. Yeah, and Melvin Gordon in 2019, he only played 12 games. He was drafted at the RB23 – or, excuse me, he was drafted at the RB22 spot – Finished at 23rd, but in only 12 games, he averaged 15 points per game. You're going to be really happy with the return you got from that guy. So go ahead. Yeah, I mean, there's just plenty of examples here. I mean, 2020, we have Kenyon Drake, Chase Edmonds, Kareem Hunt, and Nick Chubb. They're all guys that both of them are viable options despite splitting the share or splitting the carries in the backfield. Hunt and Chubb both finished inside the top 11 that year, 10 and 11 respectively. Uh, Hunt actually finished a little bit higher at the 10 spot. Hunt was drafted on average at the RB 27 spot and Chubb even at the RB 13. So if you drafted either of them, you came into X, you came into the season a little hesitant because you knew there were two really good running backs in the same backfield, but you're happy with both and ecstatic over the return you got on Hunt. Yeah. And Chubb and Hunt repeated that last year with, uh, what Chubb had 15.4 points per game, Hunt had 13.8. That's yeah. still a viable running back. Exactly. Neither of them could really stay healthy for all too long, but when they were on the field, they were week in, week out starters, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 2021 was a big year. Yeah, I mean, we also have James Conner and Chase Edmonds. Chase Edmonds only played in 12 games, but he still averaged 12 points per game. James I- Conner really uh well, he had a good season. He shocked us with that RB5 finish. Both of them were drafted. Edmonds was drafted at the RB29. Connor was a league winner drafted at RB39. That's just incredible, the season he had. But it's crazy. You know, you look at 2020 Kareem Hunt, on average drafted at that RB27 spot. James Connor in 2021 was drafted at that RB39 spot. Both of those guys have top six finishes in their career prior to that discount. So like, it's not like what they did in that season was never before seen came out of the blue. Those guys were circulating names up at the top of the billboards for quite a while. So the, uh, the addition of the, uh, the addition of running back by committee to their scheme has kind of hurt them, but it's, they still show that they could do what they did before. Yeah, it's not like you can expect a top five running back when they're splitting time 50-50, but I think everybody has just a huge misconception in their value when that happens. Everybody wants to discount them way further than what they should be. Look at 2021 last year with Javante and Melvin Gordon. Javante finished RB17, Melvin Gordon RB21 respectively. Both beat their average draft positions by more than eight points or eight spots or at least higher than that. So it's it's like these guys are just being hugely undervalued. There's a lot of opportunities, and next year is really looking favoring for our BBC. Um, and why is it becoming a commodity exactly? 
There's a couple reasons. I mean, we look at the demand for the running back position. It's a lot for one individual. You got to think that running back is going to handle the ball 20, 25 times. That's almost 400 times in the season. And as we saw last week, um, overuse turns into injury or inefficiency. That 370 mark on touches, that 390 mark is really devastating towards a running back's health and longevity. And we just see enough volume that you can split it into two and be perfectly fine. I mean, you've got to look at Javante and Melvin Gordon. Both of them had 203 carries exactly, exact 50-50 split between them, and they still get 200 carries. And you got to look at offenses like Seattle, Arizona, Los Angeles Rams, and Green Bay. They use multiple running backs, but both are accumulating over 150 touches or even if it's divided by three, they're all getting over a hundred touches and that's a solid amount of touches for a good playmaker. Yeah. I would say instead of looking at it, like they're losing touches by sharing, losing touches to another running back, you got to look at it as more, they're going to be more efficient. They're going to be fresher. They're going to be, they're not going to be as tired rushing the ball that many times. Yeah, for those of you listening, I'm nodding my head aggressively right now because you got to look at Alvin Kamara, Aaron Jones, Austin Eckler, DeAndre Swift, even Miles Sanders when he's not made a glass. Those guys uh, run great off of 10, 12, 14 touches. They're going to have a much higher average yards per touch, and they're going to be able to stay healthy throughout the season and be contributors. Um also, another thing is uh, offenses, you get younger coaches in here. There's a new wave of young coaches being pushed in. They prefer efficiency over stability. Kyle Shanahan, Mike McDaniel with the 49ers. McDaniel now at Miami. We'll go into that in a little bit. Sean McVay, um, he's had Kevin O'Connell underneath his wing for the last two years as his offensive coordinator in Los Angeles. O'Connell is the head coach at Minnesota now. McVay, the Los Angeles Rams have had five running backs over the past two years, total 100 carries in a season. Daryl Henderson was the only repeating offender. So there's four different backs over the past two years demanding triple-digit touches in a season. Um, you have Matt LaFleur using Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, Brandon Staley in Los Angeles uh, for the Chargers using Austin Eckler and then whoever else can fill in, Larry Roundtree and Justin Jackson combined for over a hundred touches. So even though um, Jackson left, expect Isaiah Spiller, that rookie drafted in the third round to step into that role. But these younger coaches going back to it, they one prefer efficiency over stability. We'll call it. They don't like a one cookie cutter look with the same back in there. And also they diversify roles in a backfield. You look at Kevin Stefanski, in Cleveland, Chubb and Hunt, ground and air. Um, Indianapolis, they have Jonathan Taylor, Naheem Hines. Hines is primarily used as a pass catching back. And Washington's another good example with Aaron Gibson and JD McKissick divvying up between ground and air. And let's just, okay, here's why we should target running back by committees. And it's not because they're preferable, it's because who isn't in a running back by committee? There's eight backs last year that were on the field for greater than two thirds of the snaps. Read off those names. 
Yeah, well, we found only Najee, Kamara, Montgomery, Henry, Cook, Taylor, Mixon, and Swift were the only ones to command more than two-thirds snap share in 2021. Yeah, and that's crazy. That's only eight guys on the field for more than two-thirds of the time. Najee's the only out of that list. Let's just pick who's going to be a solo back. Najee's the only guy that's truly a solo back. He played over 75% of snaps in 14 of 17 games last year. He's going to be on the field three downs pretty much mm-hmm. every series. Yeah. He He's a workhorse until he gets hurt. You know, we'll see. Don't say that. Knock on wood. There we go. I, I unjinxed us. But Jonathan Taylor, Joe Mixon, you probably want to say they're solo backs, but they have Naheem Hines and Samaji Pirine that – take them off the field for third down and get some passing work in. And then you look at Alvin Kamara last year was the first year that they tried new Orleans tried using him as a solo back and it was a flop. He's way less efficient. They brought Mark Ingram back mid season and they understand his limit touch or touch limit. David Montgomery I think he's probably a solo back, but he's on a rebuilding team that could opt for a a younger Khalil Herbert who still totaled over a hundred carries last year. And Derek Henry, we want to label him as a bell cow. He's turning 29. He got hurt last year, averaging 27 touches a game. They drafted Hassan Haskins in the fourth round. They bring back Hillard to take pressure off of him and avoid injury. I still still just want to emphasize you don't have to stay these guys just because they are going to have someone with them. It's just a big lesson. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to discount Derrick Henry, you know, out of my top three just because they drafted Hassan Haskins, but he he gets assisted off the field a little bit. Um, Dalvin Cook is a big name to watch next year, I think. He is in the same deal as Derrick Henry. He's the uh, he's an elite talent. He's he's gonna be on the field a lot. But Alexander Madison is too talented on that bench to stay on the bench. And also, we talked about Kevin O'Connell earlier. Kevin loves our running back by committees. You saw that in his time in Los Angeles. His offensive coordinator is Wes Phillips, who too comes from Los Angeles. I would be surprised at all if Alexander Madison totals 100 carries, even with Dalvin Cook playing 17 games. And the last name in that list is DeAndre Swift, and we all know he shares time with Jamal Williams. Yeah, I mean, running back by committee is definitely – is definitely. I mean, even these guys are going to – most of them are sharing snaps. Najee Harris, only one. It, it, you just can't avoid it. Yeah, and you ask, what about Leonard Fournette? What about Josh Jacobs, James Conner, Austin Eckler? Fournette, they drafted Rashad White to likely fill that Rojo role. And Rashad White came out on some analysts on Twitter saying, don't you fucking compare me to Rojo. Rojo's Rojo and I'm Rashad White. But no, buddy, you're still going to get that 100 carries in that offense and be they're going to form a dynamic duo between him and Fournette. So he's going to step in. Fournette does not have that backfield by himself. Josh Jacobs still has Kenny and Drake to deal with. They drafted Zamir White. So I expect Zamir White to see the field a little bit. He's too talented to not. 
James Conner played a lot when Chase Edmonds was mm-hmm. sidelined with an injury, over 85% snap share for most of those weeks. But I don't think that persists for a whole year. They have Eno Benjamin, who was there last year. Keontae Ingram was drafted as well. Those two will combine to fill that Edmonds role. And Connor's not going to be seeing 350 touches this year. I can assure you that. No, James Connor is also someone who in Pittsburgh, when he had that role of almost all the snaps, he was an injury rep problem. Yeah, exactly. It's just overusage turns into injury. And lastly, Austin Eckler, we mentioned Isaiah Spiller got drafted in the third round. He and Eckler forfeited over 100 touches to Justin Jackson, Justin Jackson, wow, and Larry Roundtree last year. Spiller's going to come in. He's the backup. He's going to get over 100 touches. Moral of the story, it's too damn hard Mm -hmm. to avoid running back by committees. There's some really good value discrepancies, which we're not going to have enough time to cover today. Um, but we will go into some of those committees next episode and see w- whose value is where and where there could be great opportunities to swoop in, especially in the late rounds. Mm-hmm. We're about to end in time. Tyler, do you have anything else to mention? No, I think we got it all. Just, you know. Good, good. Uh, Expect us to join you back in the latter half of this week and go over a little bit more about the committees. Um, There's a lot to talk about. So give this a listen. Give this a share. Again, follow us on Twitter at Wagme Fantasy. Our website, www.wagmefantasy.com. Again, we're going under construction. Some We had to transition our domain away from GoDaddy to Squarespace. So uh, bear with us. We're going to get all of our content re-shared with everybody on Twitter. And subscribe to our email list. You can subscribe on our website. Obviously not right now. <laughs> um, but when, that, when that's going, subscribe so you don't miss the blog content. There's really good blog content on our website. Again, that's at www.wagmefantasy.com. We'll get it up and running as soon as possible. Right now it's down. Um, Email us for any suggestions, questions, thoughts, opinions. Uh, We love talking to our fans. You can contact us at football at wagmefantasy.com. That's our email. And you can watch us on YouTube if you want to see our pretty faces talking. Or you can listen on RSS. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and soon-to-be Google Podcasts. That's all, folks. See you guys. Have a good week.